Come on in, sit back, relax. You're listening to episode 158 of the Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. My topic for this month is buying and implementing enterprise software, where we speak to executives from broker-dealers, asset managers, and other large firms on how they make buying decisions and how they implement enterprise software, when do they know they need new software, and they also share some lessons around implementations and support. We chose this topic because at Ezra Group, we work with a lot of enterprise wealth management firms, and they come to us for exactly these types of problems. They have a current software platform, it isn't working so well, how do they optimize it? They have issues, uh, when do they know when they should be replacing a platform? What is the time? Uh, what's the cost? They need to think about the pros and cons of when they replace different software. They need advice on how to optimize their platforms and processes, managing RFPs to replace them. All things that we do a lot, so we thought we'd try to share some of the tips and strategies from the actual people who are doing the work. <clears throat> I was excited to speak to our today's guest, John Rajes from LPL. John has been working in wealth management since 1998. Sorry, John, I'm telling you how old you are. Uh, he's had stints at Goldman, Deutsche Bank, Barclays, and most recently at UBS, which is right before he came to LPL, where he was head of digital vice, CRM, and client operations technology. John has got some serious experience working with and deploying enterprise wealth management software. You're really going to like uh, my interview with John. But if you are listening now, you are an executive at a broker-dealer, an asset manager, or an enterprise RIA, you should run, not walk, to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill up the Contact Us form on the homepage to meet with us about your technology platform issues. Our experienced team can assist with software and vendor evaluations, systems integrations, improving operational efficiency, software implementations, and a whole lot more. You can take advantage of our free initial consultation offer by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. A couple of quick housekeeping notes before we continue. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Make sure to check out our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. And now, let's kick this thing off. I'm happy to introduce our guest for this episode. It's John Rajes, SVP of Technology Partnerships at LPL Financial. Hey, John, welcome to the program. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm glad you're here. It's exciting. Um, so I'm glad I could get you away from your new responsibilities at LPL, pull you away for a bit to talk a bit about uh, technology, technology partnerships, uh, you know, vendor, broker-dealer relationships, and all those uh, interesting things. But before we jump in, tell us, where are you calling in from? Uh, I'm calling from sunny Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, John, you are a reformed New Jerseyan, correct? That is correct. I moved up to the Charlotte area in the middle of the pandemic back in uh, 2001. It feels like a long time ago, but it's only been about a year. Uh, we had a, a tremendous uh, experience in the northeast corner, but it was time for us to explore new uh, locales. And uh, as with most people, I always tell my friends and colleagues that you typically leave New Jersey either on, on your terms or not. Um, we decided that uh, now was the time is right. So here we are. Fantastic. Can you give us a 30-second overview of your role at LPL? Yes, absolutely. Um, as the leader in the technology partners organization, my group is responsible for managing all of the business relationships with our fintech uh, providers. 
So we cover the full gamut of technologies that we offer to our advisors um, across all aspects of uh, the capability set that an advisor might need. And of course, that also includes our core and foundational tech vendors, as well as um, those specialized uh, capabilities that we bring to life. John, you are new in your role. You've only been at LPL for nine months. Can you talk about what you've learned and, and what it's like coming up to speed at, uh, at LPL? Sure. Um, I joined LPL um, at the tail end of um, 2021 as part of um, our LPL's adventure to uh, really formalize how we effectively manage onboard uh, and maybe even discover fintechs. Now, we've had this program for quite a few years. And um, um, the core mission was really around trying to formalize um, both our operating process and procedures, but also really accelerate how we bring new technologies to life. Now, there's a core premise to, to, to why this is a, a, a worthy adventure for us to pursue. And that's really centered around the fact that we're trying to accelerate how we innovate for our advisors. And so that's really the epicenter of my focus in this particular role. That's excellent. So I, I really want to dig into this a bit since this is um, a topic we hear a lot. At Ezra Group, uh, half of our clients are broker dealers like LPL um, and others, but the other half of our clients are the fintechs that work with you guys. And they're always asking us, you know, how do we work better with large broker dealers uh, such as LPL? Uh, what kind of things are they looking for? And um, you know, how can we get into it? Everyone, every, every broker dealer has got some kind of program uh, or connect or something that to, to deliver those technologies to their advisors. So um, really love to dig in on this. Can you talk about um, how your procedures work? So if I'm a new vendor, I've got a great product that advisors need, what's the process for getting into your affinity program? Well, that's a great question. So um, the way we approach the FinTech ecosystem is really, uh, you know, as you can imagine, a large fund like us attracts an awful lot of attention from, from the broader ecosystem. Rightfully so. I think we do have a, a large user base that's very appealing and attractive from a FinTech growth standpoint. And, and we are acutely aware of how we can um, partner with FinTechs to, to accomplish both sets of goals. But our focus is really always on the advisor experience. Now, as you probably recognize, there's, you know, most firms tend to have a build or buy kind of mindset. Uh, we obviously are also focused on partnerships as a, as a key mechanism for us to bring innovative products to life. But it always starts with the experience. So um, the process itself is multidimensional um, and really focused on how do we bring best of breed technologies um, to our clients. Now, what does that really mean, though? Um, every fintech out there has a differentiating value proposition. Um, they, they work a little differently. They always have a unique spin on how things, um, uh, how things are developed and how their products manifest themselves in the ecosystem. Now that differentiation is obviously very valuable from, from a fintech standpoint and from a product and platform standpoint uh, for the fintech. But our real question that we're trying to answer, our homework question is always, how does the fintech product experience um, continue to bring new capabilities into the advisor practices. Now, this is not just um, you know, about bringing new things to life. If we can, there's an awful lot of new things out there that we can bring to life, but it's really about trying to figure out how do we make sure that the capabilities that we put on our shelf is additive to their practice and their personas. The persona really defines who they are, what they are, and how they plan to run their business. 
So you, you started to ask the question I'm about to ask you, how do you define value? You know, so how, how do you measure whether a new piece of software is bringing enough value to spend the time? Because every, every application you integrate takes time, not just the time to integrate, but the time to evaluate, the time to look into them, the time to bring them on board, do the security evaluations, and then manage them, maintain that integration basically forever. So how do you make that value decision? What's, what's that? The, um, the methodology around that? Yeah, another great question. So we actually, our process is really an inside out uh, approach. So rather than trying to you know, distill the ecosystem or boil the ocean, we're actually starting from the other side, right? So our line of sight into what an advisor needs and how they run their practices is really grounded on, on, on a very large um, set of data that we have from our client base. And so that inside out approach allows us to be able to identify um, both tactical and strategic needs for our advisors. Now, we do have a strategic needs framework that, uh, at the enterprise and corporate level, uh, but that's, that's less of a priority. For our focus is really on trying to figure out where do advisors struggle? Where do advisors uh, face the greatest amount of pain? Uh, what's happening in the ecosystem that's driving some of that change in dynamics? Uh, in the advisor community. And so that inside out approach is really about trying to define a, a ecosystem in terms of how do we see an advisor and their needs, both from a personal perspective, their persona, but also from a practice standpoint. So that's kind of that inside out approach of uh, where we need to look for. We know of course that no two advisors are the same. And of course, advisor practices might fit into various categories, but there, there is a life cycle element, of course, to where they are in their journey as building a small to large business. And so the set of capabilities that we're looking to bring to them is really sensitized to you know, what, where they are in those journeys. Now, of course, we can't solve every problem all at once. So obviously you have to pick and choose where the greatest priority and need is. So are there any criteria you can share when you talk about the inside out approach, the life site into advisor needs, where are the biggest pain points? Uh, is there any um, inside baseball you could share or methodology that says, well, we value this particular piece of this particular criteria highly. So when a, when, a, when, a, when a vendor comes and says, I've got a new you know, meeting automation tool, you can always say, well, that's a huge need. Advisors struggle with meetings. That's a big pain point, but how do you decide if that's a big enough pain point, if that software meets a big enough need? Is there some scoring methodology you use? Yeah, so that's, a, that's an excellent question. There, you know, there's obviously some best practices around how do we effectively uncover um, client needs or user needs, right? Standard product management practices would suggest that we would use a combination of um, you know, customer service channels, we would use a combination of market research, we would use a combination of um, what are we hearing directly through focus groups and surveys? Um, and of course, we know um, as a large enterprise, we have the infrastructure and processes to constantly channel feedback from all parts of the organization into a central focal point. That happens to be in, in my, my team and my organization. So we, we use all of those constructs to be able to get to identify what the needs are. Now, of course, there are lots of needs. And so it's important to also create a framework where you can kind of prioritize what, what makes sense for whom and when. So maybe there's, maybe there's probably three dimensions that, that we consider. 
Uh, one is, I think I spoke about, you know, what type of practice or what type of advisor practice do we have um, uh, that, that we are looking to address their needs. Now there's, uh, you know, there, there are planning centric practices, there are folks who are uh, more geared towards holistic wealth management, there are, there are still traditional practices that are geared around um, the, the broker dealer business and, and commission and trading based business, although that's, you know, rapidly deteriorating over time and degrading over time. The, um, the other dimension is really to think about, um, you know, where are they from a practice maturity standpoint? Uh, we know that there's, there's a general uh, maturity arc that an advisor practice follows, um, starting from obviously, you know, forming the practice and, and growing uh, the initial book of business through to maturing that book of business, scaling it up, and then eventually looking for opportunity to exit. So that life cycle also needs to be considered because the needs vary based on that. And then finally, um, I think we all recognize that in the tech world and the tech stack, um, there are layers. And so um, we recognize that there's always a core or table stakes set of capabilities that every practice needs and every advisor would need. Um, so these would be core technologies like CRM and, and uh, you know, reporting, et cetera. Um, there are value added capabilities like financial planning, um, maybe even how um, you know, folks will look to engage or deepen the engagement with, with their investors. And then finally, there's the, what we consider kind of like the specialized layer. So now we won't see everybody operating in that space, but we do see a significant amount of specialization that's starting to take place, whether it's you know, uh, moving into the, uh, the tax planning world or maybe even into the estate, more broadly, the estate planning world. So, so we do see some opportunities of specialization that's starting to uh, take hold in our industry. So we use all of those dimensions to determine where the needs are. Of course, like you said, we can't invest everywhere. Um, so it is important to recognize where the greatest demand is. And that's always coming through the organic channels of uh, feedback. When a vendor comes in um, and they want, to, they, they want to get into the affinity program, what are the different levels of integration available? Yeah, great question. So our uh, FinTech ecosystem at IPL um, it kind of goes through um, a, a relatively uh, systematic process that's kind of focused on what type of partnership and what type of engagement uh, we wish to have with a particular vendor. And of course, the type of partnership and the type of engagement we have with the vendor is obviously dependent on the type of experience we're trying to create for our advisors. So there's, there are some common things, themes though. Uh, number one, obviously we wanna make sure that Whenever we are engaging with a vendor, it's not done in isolation. So it's not um, a vendor outreach. It's, it's always based off of a scan of capabilities available in, in the broader ecosystem. Now, some, some of those scans will result in us identifying very mature products and solutions where we potentially already have partnerships, um, or we may uh, find um, you know, capabilities that are perhaps you know, not, not quite ready yet to, to scale up with, with the size and shape of our organization. So, so it's important to recognize that every time you're making a decision, a partnership decision, it's based with that full view of what's out there. So that's number one. Number two, it is critically important that we have a crystal clear understanding of um, how is it additive to the advisor. Ultimately, we recognize that when we bring partnerships to life and we invest the time and energy to do that, we recognize that it's important that the value to the advisor is there. Without the value to the advisor, 
it's not beneficial to the vendor. It's not beneficial. Obviously, it's not beneficial to the advisor. It's not beneficial to the vendor, and it's certainly not beneficial to us. So it's important that we understand how is it valuable to the advisor. That's critical. Ultimately, they are the ones who um, who choose to adopt a piece of technology. So it's important to make sure we get it right for them. Thirdly, we are always keen on ensuring that any piece of technology and the capability and the feature set uh, works alongside the overall advisor experience journey. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's an awful lot of different types of technology and the way that you know, features get implemented vary, um, in, in some cases, quite dramatically. So we want to make sure that when someone is given a piece of technology to solve a specific problem, that it actually fits with everything else that they have in their stack. So maybe there is an opportunity for us to say, well, these curated experiences can lend itself to say, well, maybe we do need more than one type of capability. It doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all. But that really largely depends on what's their existing experience, what is the desired target experience, and how does a, a product fit into that experience. Um, all the basics around, you know, we don't want data duplication, we don't want to have to dual entry anything, that's all table stakes. So it's important to make sure that, that that all fits and functions correctly. But it's also important that everything is seamless from an experience standpoint. And then finally, you know, from a, from a business standpoint, it's crucial that the way we choose to implement a piece of technology, um, um, you know, we, we do have the appropriate construct that you know, the engagement is both material and meaningful from all parties involved. So, so choosing the type of uh, implementation is crucial. I think you, your question was really related to how do we decide how deep we, we, we integrate with a particular vendor. Um, we have choices to make. A light integration can be valuable from some perspectives. Um, a deep integration could be incredibly enabling and empowering from an advisor experience standpoint. So that really depends on how we, you know, uh, how we choose to bring technology and the capability to life as part of the experience. Since uh, the, these programs don't exist in a vacuum and they need to fit with everything else in the advisor's tech stack, would you recommend a new vendor who comes to you and says, hey, you John, we're a new software, we help advisors with whatever particular area of, uh, of uh, software, uh, would you recommend they integrate with as many of the core uh, applications that are already in the affinity program in order to get a leg up on Another great question. So I think um, what, what I noticed is, is um, really two types of inbound requests from, from FinTech vendors, right? So the vast majority, I mean, quite aside from FinTechs are highly motivated to, um, to, to drive adoption and, and scale up quickly. Um, which, which is a given. Um, the, the other big motivation is really about how does a, a product or platform, especially when it's early in its life cycle, uh, integrate with the broader fintech ecosystem. Now, there's a couple of different ways to think about it. Yes, fintechs can talk to each other, they do. They do spend an awful lot of energy trying to integrate with each other, especially where they think that they fit into the journey and where they fit into the overall experience. But I think we all recognize um, collectively, especially as those uh, larger firms that kind of act as these, um, these hubs platforms, we do have um, access to both the advisor community and the data that powers their core services. So it's probably more important for a fintech vendor to be integrated with, with, with the larger um, uh, broker dealers 
um, largely because it's obviously beneficial from a business fintech business standpoint. But more importantly, it's important to recognize that by doing so, they have the unique ability to be able to integrate their product into an overall experience. Just a collection of fintech platforms and capabilities that are loosely integrated with each other um, is not sufficient to provide the kind of holistic experience that advisors are, are relying on. Every, every one of our advisors are using our core platforms. So the moment you create a, a layer of capabilities, integrated or otherwise, that are disconnected from that, from that core bread and butter systems that they absolutely rely on day to day, every hour of their day, um, the more of a disservice it is, especially from an experience and workflow standpoint. So my, my recommendation would always be to say, hey, let's look for opportunities to come up with um, integration points and integration uh, depth that's mature and meaningful with the core systems that, that our advisors rely on. So that should really be the priority number one. Those are good recommendations. You know, we uh, launched our integration score, Wealthtech well, integration score, just for this purpose, really to understand what those integration points are in depth since a lot of vendors um, don't provide the information sites and many broker dealers and RIAs don't have the capabilities that LPL has to do your own research on this integration depth and maturity. So we, we came up with a score to make for firms to compare different vendors uh, and what their integration depth is. So that's all, all good points. You mentioned a couple of things. You said um, that the um, you've got a couple of different types of integrations, one at a high level integration and a deep integration. Can you explain the difference between those two in, in, in your terminology and how you guys see it and how you determine which one you select when a new vendor comes on board? Yeah, so I think um, the, way, the way we think about integrations is really about, you know, what do we need to have in place for advisors to maximize the experience? And what I mean by that is, we know that there's an awful lot of uh, capabilities that, that we can enable by virtue of a, even a basic integration. However, uh, really opening up the, the set of capabilities um, from, a, from a FinTech standpoint might require deeper, deeper integration, maybe bi-directional, maybe workflows uh, would be enabled through, through these bi-directional um, interfaces. So, so the way we think about it is, is not just from, from the lens of should we integrate or not? I think most in most cases, we have reached the conclusion that we should. It's, it's hard to dispute that. Um, having said that, the level of integration should be, should be meaningful. Ultimately, it's an investment on both sides. And so it's important that everything that we're going to invest in for the advisor is actually additive to the experience. So there's that, of course, um, you know, notwithstanding the basic set of things that you'd have to do to facilitate even activation and use of a particular capability. So some things are just going to be naturally deeper. As an example, you know, supporting a consolidated reporting platform will require a deeper level of integration from perhaps a simpler integration um, that will be required for um, a tool like um, a scheduling application. Indeed, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a, an important distinction, understanding uh, how the different applications integrate with uh, an advisor's workflow, which some are more important, some are less important, some are required for the daily operation they can't live without, and some are just nice to have. All right, so um, before we run out of time, I want to hit a couple of other, other questions with you, Ajahn. Can you talk about some problems you've had with vendors trying to integrate? Now, don't mention any names, so don't have to hear the names of the vendors, but 
Um, what are some problems? Like a vendor came in and said, I can do this and they couldn't do it. Or they said, I've got these integrations and they didn't really have them. It's something um, that you've had, you run issues with. Uh, an excellent question. I think uh, for those who've been in this industry long enough, you you know almost everybody has some examples of of things that didn't quite go exactly to plan, and and I'm I'm no different. You know my you know I have lots of examples over the years. Um, a couple that really stand out are the, are, are the ones that that generally um, you know sit in the spectrum of um, technology that doesn't quite um, you know uh, rise to the occasion. Um, and I mean that from, from a few different perspectives. Um, you know, I think historically, and, and perhaps you know, less so nowadays, given, given that, um, that there's a greater degree of focus um, and, and real-time you know, evaluation of capabilities, but historically, uh, fintechs have been notorious to, to promise capabilities that don't exist as yet. So that's, that's obviously that, that's an easy one to catch or should be to catch, but, but the depth of analysis um, and, and an evaluation before you start any kind of integration is crucial. And that includes having the product and engineering organizations uh, with the appropriate subject matter expertise deep dive into the architecture, not just the, not just the functional and feature set architecture, but also the actual technical um, integration architecture that's available. Um, now, in, in, in modern times, as, as we uh, are generally integrating using APIs and cloud-based technologies, um, this becomes probably easier to prove out. Having said that, it is still important to, to understand that the depth and, and scale that can be supported using the FinTech platform. Now, my, my particular, um, in that particular case, you know, we uncovered issues, um, you know, only after we, we entered into a, a, a preliminary pilot phase and, and ultimately decided that uh, we're going to have to invest a significantly longer um, uh, journey into a longer journey to be able to get the fintech provider ready to scale to uh, the broker dealer's needs. Um, so so there's, there's plenty of examples of that, um, uh, but that's one that really springs to mind. It is important that we get the assessment and evaluation deep enough um, upfront so that you're not surprised later on. That's one. The other example that I have is actually a little bit different. Um, and that's actually less to do with um, the, the, the product and the platform architecture and more to do with um, experience assumptions, right? So the way you bring experiences to life um, uh, to advisors um, has to be perhaps more seamless than, than perhaps most people appreciate. Um, so thinking through what the user experience is uh, from end to end ahead of time is crucial in making sure that the integrations that, that you've planned actually works as such. And that's actually also inclusive of everything from you know, response times and, and, and SLAs through to what is the support model and architecture uh, behind it. And so, um, so, so there's again, lots of examples of this. Um, uh, one, one particular one that, that, that occurs to me is that you know, in isolation, um, the, the fintech provider was able to provide an amazing experience, but integrated into an overall journey uh, that started to be doing quite quickly. And so, um, so it's important to recognize those aspects of what it takes to integrate with a, with a fintech product. Yeah, those are all things we've heard before. I mean, you're talking about um, doing the depth of analysis before starting the integration, right? That's that's always when the surprises occur, when the, when the marketing and the sales um, speak hits the hits the fan, and they say, "Well, they promised us they can integrate with X, and then they signed the contract, and now we're here." And it doesn't really do that, 
or the, or something they've never really tried before, uh, or it doesn't do exactly what, it, or maybe it's just a, it's a lower level integration, as you mentioned before, uh, the, 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 you know, the depth of the integration, how much data is being passed, how easy it is to do, and it's not the case. And a lot of firms don't have the capabilities to do that deep dive into the architecture of these vendors and to have an SME on staff that can answer questions or, or know what even the right questions are to ask. So I imagine your uh, your affinity program is incredibly valuable to LPL's advisors. Yes, that is correct. And that is from, you know, our, our process itself is, is actually layered. So, so we have many rounds of review um, that, that gets deeper and deeper as the conversations and the engagement progresses. Um, so, so what starts off as, as maybe um, you know, basic demos to a variety of different stakeholders uh, within our organization uh, eventually evolves into a, a fully comprehensive architectural assessment uh, by our engineering teams um, to be able to make sure that the products are truly, truly fit for purpose. Ultimately though, you know, all of these things the more you can shift left and, and do that ahead of any kind of formal, um, uh, you know, finalization of plans and, and bringing things to life, the better. Um, now, does that mean that you'll get zero surprises down the road? Well, our mission is to make sure that we get no surprises down the road. So, so we, you know, not aiming for perfection, but what we are doing though is making sure that we have both, um, you know, certainty on on launch time, but more importantly, certainty over time as our business continues to scale and the FinTech um, capability continues to get used more and more. So it's actually good for everybody. And now at the end of this podcast, I'm gonna tell the audience something they don't expect, that this was John's very first podcast he was on, right? That's right, that's right. Great, thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast. I know it's, uh, you know, after, after a couple of decades in this industry, it surprised me too, but. Uh, but I'm so glad to do this. I really appreciate the invite. Yeah, but everyone is surprised because you did great. You don't sound like your first time on the podcast. You did fantastic. You're a really, really pleasure to talk to you. Lots of great information. I know people are really going to enjoy listening to this. And thanks so much for being here, John. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, it's Craig again. Uh, glad you made it through this episode. I'm going to give you my top three takeaways from my interview with John. Number one, how can vendors get into a large IBD like LPL. John's recommendation, focus on advisor experience. What new capabilities can you bring to an advisor's practice? Do you address the areas where they're struggling? Do you know what the biggest pain points are? If your software can help with those, you have a good possibility of getting onto a platform like LPL. Of course, getting onto the platform being accepted by first compliance and the technology teams, it's only the first step. You then have to go sell it to advisors. Unless, of course, you're selling it to the home office and they're using it across the firm. Um, oftentimes, you have to go advisor by advisor, RIA to RIA, that are affiliated with the broker dealer and sell the software. So you're not out of the woods yet just because you got on the platform. You still got to sell. Point number two, uh, the LPL Affinity Program, they have different integration levels. So depending on what level you are, you may have more or less integrations with ClientWorks and other LPL software. And the engagement, as John said, depends on the type of experience. Things don't work in a vacuum. Your software must fit in with everything else in the advisor's tech stack. So good for you to do a deep dive on the Affinity program. I think there are 70 applications in that program currently that LPL manages, but knowing what the core tech stack is for most LPL advisors 
and that you integrate with them will help you. It'll also help you with your Ezra Group Wealth Tech Integration Score because we uh, rank those higher. If you integrate with more of the core applications that most advisors use, and the list of those key applications is available on our website, ezragroupllc.com, you will get a higher Wealth Tech Integration Score. And the third takeaway is what the number one problem is with vendor integrations, according to John, is vaporware. This is a problem we see a lot looking at all the vendors that we review. So many vendors think it's okay to talk about software they basically don't have yet, features that aren't existing yet, promise them to clients, and then sort of back out of it later when they get caught. And it's really uh, something you have to watch out for. A lot of vendors do it. Uh, it's one thing we make sure when we're managing RFP processes, man managing vendor evaluations, and all the demos, we always ask those key probing questions about who else is using the software. Is this feature available now? Is it just something on your roadmap? And really drill down to the details there. And this all goes to one of the things we recommend with a lot of our clients is make sure you do enough analysis before you select a vendor. Don't just pick the first one you see or the last one you see or the one with the most bells and whistles. Make sure you spend some time uh, using a methodology like from Ezra Group. We have a proprietary vendor evaluation methodology that helps you understand your priorities and the criteria that are most important to you uh, about the particular software you're evaluating. All right. And that wraps up another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, please go to our website, ezragroupllc.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, analysis, information, links. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again for listening and talk to you all again next time. Mm -hmm.